0: So last time we were in the book of Judges, we saw people that were stuck in a very exhaustive cycle. They had entered a land that God had promised their forefathers, a land that he wanted them to fully possess. Not for selfish gain or to build empire, but he wanted them to possess the land so that they can continue the relationship he started with them so they can know him, so they could obey him. But instead, instead of doing those things, they began to follow the gods of the people that were already in the land. And this invited God's wrath. So over and over again, we saw this, this cycle which we call the cycle of idolatry. First, they disobeyed God, which invited God's disapproval and ultimately led to their distress. The distress led them to cry out to God for help. And God was faithful to save them. But unfortunately, when their leader died, they went back to Their folly. They went back to serving other gods. We also noted that in the book of Judges, these cycles, unfortunately, get worse as the book goes on. God's judgment gets longer. First start with starts in with an eight year period of enslavement, which we'll hear about more today. But the last period of judgment lasts 40 years the peace that he provides gets shorter and shorter. First time the peace lasts 40 years and all of Israel is united. But by the time we get to the end of the book, there is no time of peace. And Israel is divided. And so today we'll see the first of these 12 cycles and hearing those things, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think that this is a, a, a book of Debbie Downer stories, right? We fail God, God gets angry, and wrath gets worse and worse and worse until there is no hope at all. We can be tempted to think that we too are helpless. We sin over and over again. And even when we depend on God, we go back to our old ways. Maybe we can never even please him. But what we will see today in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, is that first, God's anger is not his primary focus when we fail. It's there, for sure, but it's not his primary focus. In fact, his anger leads to judgment, a merciless judgment that we need and he uses this to actually win us back. God ultimately responds to failure not with with wrath but with revival, not with anger but with loving discipline as a parent disciplines a child. We'll also see that our wandering has a lasting solution thankfully. Because of Christ, we have the spirit to obey and please him. We have a spirit, a everlasting spirit, so that we are not, we're not stuck in a cycle of disobedience. So the sermon has two main headings. Why is revival needed? And God revives his people. Why is revival needed and God revives his people? So why is revival necessary in our lives and in the lives of the children of Israel? Well, chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 begins to reveal God's plan for his people. After he describes the nations that are left, he tells us in verse 4 that the children of Israel were left among these nations that they would be a lasting, a testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord. He commanded their fathers to go into this land to obey him. And so he leaves them amongst these people to test them. Notice that God is leaving his people surrounded by enemies who God will use to punish Israel, not because God wants to see his people suffer, but because he sees his people lack something. They lack the type of experience the previous generation had. They did not trust God as the previous generation had. They did not know war as the previous generation had. He sees this current generation of people that did not know these things and they are therefore left faithfulness. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. Joshua had led them in battle, some miraculous battles. Even in uh, the city of, of Jericho, where they didn't fight at all, and they still won. And now this generation does not have that type of faith. Think about that. The The previous generation won a battle that they didn't have to fight in. And now God says, I have given you this land. Go finish the fight, and they won't fight. So he sees a utter lack. And so we see here very clearly that this testing is not for God, it is for God's people. This is not like a class where after a number of assignments that you have completed, or maybe not completed, after a number of quizzes, after studying, the instructor of the class wants to know what you have retained. This is not that type of test. This is the kind of test where the instructor gives you a test so you know what you lack. This test is to reveal to Israel what they lack. God tests us to show us our vulnerabilities. We just heard in Deuteronomy 8 an example of this. It reads, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God's testing is for Israel so they could know what they lacked. And their biggest need was God himself. They didn't need more military equipment so they could overcome their enemies they needed God to perform his work in them. And so in a lot of these two texts in Judges 3 and Deuteronomy 8, we see why we are commanded to not put God to the test, right? There is nothing that God lacks. There is nothing that he doesn't know that needs to be revealed about him. He knows all things. He has displayed his love for us. So there is nothing that God doesn't already know about himself. So there's no need to test him. But God tests us to reveal our lack. So the first reason why revival is necessary is because Israel failed that test of their faith. They did not trust God and they began to serve the idols of the gods around them the idols of the peoples around them. They commingled with the people around them. Second reason why revival is is necessary, and that is because Israel, as we do, forgot God. Verse 7 begins this first cycle, the first of 12. And we see that They simply state the people, it simply states that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot God? Sounds kind of strange, right? They forget God like we forget the various passwords we have to keep to access our accounts online. Maybe they forgot God like... You know how you are introduced to someone, you are engaged in conversation, and by the end of it, you have to re-ask their name? Did they forget God like that? I actually remember a time where I drove to a meeting that had to be less than a mile away. And after the meeting was over, I left the meeting and walked home. I I had completely forgotten that I had driven to the meeting. Did they forget God like that? No. In fact, the book of Romans suggests that people can't just totally forget God. We may suppress his knowledge, but we can't just forget God. They forgot God like a adult parent forgets to call an adult child I should say forgets to call their parent or their older loved ones now this is pretty convicting for me personally because about every two weeks I talk to my mother and she always says to me remember you have a mother right what is she meaning by that she knows that I know she's my mother She knows that I love her. But what she's signaling is, okay, over the past two weeks, you have not made me your focus. I have not animated your life, maybe as I once have. And so when the book says they forgot God, it's more of a ignoring of God. They knew God was there, but what was really animating their life were these specific false gods, Baal and Asherah. So the question this morning for us is, have, have we forgotten God? Have we begun to be interested in the good things in our lives and maybe has taken our focus off of the giver? Maybe it's a fulfilling career. It's a good thing, right? God commands us to work and have various vocations. But is that thing making us forget God? Maybe it's relationships. Whether it's an a intimate relationship or a, a friendship. Is that relationship causing us to forget God? In our day and age, bodily pr- pleasure in expression is something that people, that we are making ultimate things. Pleasure is a gift from God. Expression of our persons, either through our culture, is something that isn't inherently bad. The last one the last one I want to mention is actually ministry itself. This is kind of funny to think about. Can a ministry which is presumably for God make you forget God? Unfortunately, that answer is yes. Even in the way we do our ministry, even in the focus of our ministry, we can begin to show that we have forgotten about God. We can make ministry about ourselves. We can, we can ignore the ways God calls us to do ministry. And so none of these things are inherently bad, but when they become our primary focus, we forget God. And so the people in Israel forgot God in the same way that we do Today. So, test your heart. Ask yourself Is this thing that I've been focusing on yielding the fruits of the Spirit? It's a question I, I love personally. So I'm, I'm giving effort to this thing, right? But is it yielding love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control? Is this thing bringing me closer to God and and deeper knowledge with God and deeper love for God's people or is it pushing me further away? Take the career example, right? Your career could show that you are dutiful in your vocation, right? God has given us skills, But your career could also show that you love money, you love power, you want to simply, you know, work your way up through the the chain. What about our relationships? Our relationships, too, can show that maybe we love people's opinion of us more than we love God. How are we using our bodies How are we expressing ourselves? Are we thinking about others more than ourselves? In ministry. Is the ministry that God has given us being used in the way that he would call us to? So take this question and and, and ask it, but don't answer it in isolation. These questions are not designed to produce shame or guilt and for us to walk away feeling like we failed, even if we have. These questions are to truly test our heart. Ask a loved one that knows Christ. Hey, how, how have you seen this thing change me? This is designed to be an encouragement. Because when God reveals a lack of something in us, he's faithful to fulfill it. He's faithful to, to remove that lack. Second encouragement. And this one was particularly helpful for me this week. It came from comes from 2 Peter 1st 1, 1 chapter, the third verse. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who calls us. You have all things. Related to life and godliness through Christ who has called us. So if you feel like you're in a period of of failure. If you feel like um, maybe I, I have forgotten God. In Christ he has equipped us to overcome that failure through the Holy Spirit. He has blessed the church. In ways so that we don't forget him. The Lord's Supper. Right. We do this. Why? In remembrance. Our community of faith. We, we meet week after week. We were reminded there are other Christians that are maybe struggling us as much as we are. We have brothers and sisters around us to encourage us to to stay on the walk. This is all to remind us not to forget God. So we see that revival is needed because we fail tests, the children of Israel certainly did, and we have a tendency to wander. So what is God's response to this? What is God's response to our wandering eye and our continuous failure? On to the second heading, God revives his people. God revives his people. He revives us through merciful judgment and spirit-filled leadership. Merciful judgment and spirit-filled leadership. Continuing in chapter 3, verse 8. After they had sinned against God, serving these false idols, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, And he sold them into the hand of Cush-Risheathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cush-Risheathim for eight years. So we have seen disobedience and now disapproval. God responds to seeing his people serving Baal and Asheroth. And so he sells them. To Mesopotamia, their spiritual reality is becoming a physical reality. After seeing this, notice what happens. We notice that this happens actually 11 more times. And it's easy to conclude that maybe God responds to our failure with anger, right? We fail him and he sells us off. But notice... That this response, God selling the people off, results in cries out to God. So we, we tend to focus sometimes on the, the consequence, right? But the purpose of this judgment is so that it would have them actually respond to God. They were ignoring God. And now in this moment of distress, they actually show their measure of faith, right? God tells them to go into the land and they don't do it fully. They don't trust him. But now when distress comes, they show what? That they know who is there to help. They know that God can save. So God responds. His response is not driven by anger, but by mercy. It's revealing their true state so that it can actually avoid final judgment. So what's worse, being enslaved for eight years or having to face a God at the end of your life, never fully accepting him and having that judgment be final. This is how 1 Corinthians 11 and 32 puts it. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord that, the, that we will not be condemned with the world. God would not be loving or righteous to see us failing and do nothing. See us forgetting him and not respond to that. God is not so unloving that he would sit idly by and let his children destroy their lives. So he reveals their flaws to them. He puts them in situations. He puts us in situations that make us respond to him. When the people cried out to the Lord, he raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved him. God re- revives his people through merciful judgment, and through spirit-filled leadership. He raised up a man by the name of Othniel, the son of Kanez, Caleb's younger brother. And it says, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushin, Rishin Theatham, King, say that five times fast, king of Mesopotamia into his hand and his hand prevailed over them. Remember the beginning of this book. Joshua died and the people are unraveled. Before Joshua, it was Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt and, and, and into the wilderness, right? Right? And he did these great and and powerful works. Before Moses, it was Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery, but he ends up rising up and being a, a leader in Egypt. And we can hear these stories and we can think what the people need is a leader with a lot of talent and a lot of ability that can do wondrous things. And we don't know much about Othniel, but what we are told is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Sometimes losing the detail helps us focus on what's most important. This leader that God raised up to save them had the Spirit. Of God. And so God revives his people through spirit filled leadership. We see this also in the book of, of Acts. Acts, in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit going from place to place. He's uh, encouraging people to, or making people pray for one another to preach the gospel. To, to, to share their testimony, and what happens? Revival happens. People are saved. And so just like in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord fell on Orpneal, today the Spirit of the Lord is falling on his leaders. And so the main thing that we should pray for is that we are with God. And that the Spirit of the Lord would be with us so that we can have a similar impact. So, what, what was caused by Othniel's leadership? Well, we see a peace, a peace that lasted 40 years. And again, the book does not detail his skills. We do have a sense. That maybe he was a little braver than some of his counterparts, some of his contemporaries. In the first chapter, we hear Caleb, who was one of Moses's faithful spies. He does a all call and he says, "Whoever can defeat this nation that is in my section of Israel, I will invite them into my family. They will be able to marry my, my daughter." And Othniel is the only one that successfully steps up to the plate. So not only does he marry into the family of, of Israel, unlike some of his contemporaries who married into other nations, but we see bravery. He is not afraid. He is not afraid to go into battle against an enemy that God has already said that he will help defeat. But again, his most important attribute, attribute was that he was with God, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And this leads to the, the the most complete revival that we will see in this book. Forty years, the entirety of the nation of Israel is is unified. And so you can imagine the praise. Psalm 85, which we read at the beginning of this service, is a a great, a great scripture here to display this. Lord, you have favored, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, and put away your indignation toward us. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. This is exactly the type of revival we see here. And so revival comes through spirit-filled leadership leadership. Revival comes through a merciful judgment. And the only problem that arises from this is that Othniel dies. All of us will die. So this presents a problem. What good is salvation? if it has an end, what good is temporary joy? And so the glory of Christ is revealed here. Revelation 1, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. In Christ, we have a lasting salvation. Not only is Christ a spirit field leader, he's the perfect image of God, he can bring us a lasting peace, a perfect peace. Not just 40 years of peace, but eternal life. God revives us in this way every day. And so this morning, If you feel that you have forgotten God, if you feel that you have failed a test, don't be discouraged. Know that the gift of that revelation is just that. It's a gift. God reveals our faults to us, not for guilt and shame, so that we can come to Christ and be healed And be revived forever. Not for our own sakes. Not for the the nation we are in. But because God is faithful. And he revives his people. Let's pray together.